This morning I've entitled my message, Satan's War on the Firstborns. And I want to frame my sermon on one of the most mysterious chapters in the Bible. And that's Revelation chapter 12. And Revelation chapter 12, let me give you a preamble, begins with the revealing of a woman in heaven, clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet. And on her head, there was a garland of 12 stars. Now in the spirit of hermeneutics, the key in this passage is to identify who this woman is because if you get her identity wrong, everything goes out of sync. The woman in this story, in this chapter, can either be one or two entities. She can either represent the church of Jesus Christ or she can represent the nation of Israel. And I want to suggest to you strongly that the woman in Revelation 12 is a prophetic picture of the church. And I say this for the following reasons. Number one, that the book of Revelation was written essentially to the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, Israel has a vital part to play in the end time, but we must acknowledge it was written to the body of Christ. But secondly, from Genesis to Revelation, we find that there are two women that are always held in comparison, in tension one with another, whether it was Sarah or Hagar, whether it was Hannah or Panina, whether it was wisdom or the strange woman in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Revelation, this woman who is the church is contrasted with another woman in Revelation 17 who is called Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlotry and the mother of all false religions. I wanted to show a picture to you, but they were so new agey and so bizarre, I thought I wouldn't give you a nightmare. But here's the interpretation. The woman is pregnant with a man-child. The man-child is destined to rule the nations with a rod of iron. This man-child represents a select company of people that will be brought forth from the womb of the woman and we will circle back to his identity in a few moments. The serpent or Satan is ready to devour the man-child but as soon as he is born, he's caught up to God in heaven. The woman is then led to the wilderness where she is protected for three and a half years. Now watch this, this time period is very important, three and a half years. The serpent tries to destroy her with a flood but the earth protects her and then the serpent is enraged and goes on to fight with the rest of her offspring. Now, there are three groups of people that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 12. The man-child, number one. Number two, you've got the woman. And number three, you've got the rest of her offspring. To interpret this, we've got to go back to the days of Noah because Jesus himself declared, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. The days of Noah holds the key for us in this passage. What do we find in the days of Noah? We find three groups of people as well. The first group, of course, is Noah, or sorry, I'm so sorry, Enoch. The second group is Noah and his family. And the third group is those who were sometime disobedient in the days of Noah. This is 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. Now, we all know what happened to, to Enoch. He was taken up, he was translated before the flood. So he was preserved, all right? Everybody say preserved. He was preserved. And I want to suggest to you that he is a representation of the man-child. Now, Noah and his family went through the ordeal of the flood, but they were protected. And they represent the woman who was protected. And then there were those who were once disobedient in the days of Noah. And this is a reference to a company of people who heard Noah's preaching. They heard the warning of the coming flood, but they believed the message and they did not do anything to prepare themselves or try to get on board the ark. And they perished in the flood. They're likened to the virgins without any oil in their lamps. I tell you, my friends, you've got to make sure you've got oil in your lamp. 
especially in these last days, make sure you got the fire burning in you. Hallelujah. So we got to be preserved. You got the preserve, you got the protected, and you got those who perish. And they represent these three companies of people in the last days. Now, I want to focus on this man child company. And this company of people like Enoch, they don't taste death, who like Enoch will be translated before the great tribulation. Now, in the Bible, there's a few references of this company, but several names. In Revelation 2 and 3, talks about the overcomer. In Revelation 14, talks about the 144,000. Revelation 21 talks about the bride, the wife of the Lamb. All this is a description of the same company of people called by different names, but they represent the first in the order of creation. They are the Ak Anastasis, the out-resurrection, the cream of the, of the crop. They're the la, cream de la creme, all right? In Hebrews chapter 12, they're called the church of the firstborn. Now, the concept of the firstborn was of great importance to the Jewish mind because in the Old Testament, the firstborn son inherited the double portion of the estate and also the headship of the family. He was honored, he was respected by the rest of the siblings, and he had authority over them, and he had the responsibility for their welfare. Now in the Old Testament, the throne of the king is passed down by genealogy to the firstborn son. And it was the same with the priesthood. The high priest, the position of the high priest is passed down to his firstborn son. And the firstborn of the king or the high priest would take over from his father. And I'll tell you this, my friends, that is the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if you were born from the genealogy of Aaron, then you, could be, you are a priest. Uh, if you're born in the other 12 tribes, the other 11 tribes, you could be a farmer, you could be a soldier, you could be a cattle rancher, but the one thing you couldn't be, you couldn't be a priest. Because the lineage of the priesthood came from the line of Aaron. And it's the same with the kings. You have to come from the lineage of David if you are going to be a king. So if you have a king of Judah who doesn't come from the tribe or from the loins of David, you're a usurper. You're from the wrong tribe. Because only the sons of David have been promised the throne as the sons of Aaron were promised the high priest. Now that is in the Old Testament. It's all based on genealogy, who your father was, who your grandfather was. But I thank God that we're living in the New Testament and everything changed because today it's based on election. Hallelujah. And because it's based on election, what does that mean? It means you and I have a shot at this. Hallelujah. We've got a shot at this. It means that this is something where Jesus says, whoever so wills can come. God is an impartial God. And I tell you, I believe this morning He's offering this double portion blessing to anyone who would say, God, I want this with all my heart. I want this with all my heart, Lord. This is something I'm pressing in. And you've got to be praying right now, my friends. You've got to be pressing in for more of God. You cannot stay in your comfort zones right now. The Sunday services are good. The cell groups are good. I mean, everything that we do in a week, but there is more in God, my friends. And you cannot stay comfortable in your comfort zones right now. So in the Old Testament, there was a distinction between sons and firstborn sons. And it's this company of people who will inherit the first double portion blessing, sit on a throne as co-heirs with Jesus and rule the nation with a rod of iron. Now, if there's a company of believers in heaven called the church of the firstborn, 
then it follows that there are also companies in heaven of believers in heaven with varying degrees of glory, but the church of the firstborn is the greatest of all. Am I making sense to you? The man-child is the firstborn of the woman, but the woman has many other offspring. That's the rest of the tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. Now the concept of the firstborn, I think is one of the most intriguing ideas in the whole Bible. Yet I've hardly heard a message for 40 years as a believer. I've not heard once a message on the firstborn company. And yet it takes such a prominent place in the Bible. It's an understatement to say that Satan vehemently hates the firstborn. And there's a reason for that. And if you recall, he attempted to Pharaoh to kill the firstborn, all the firstborn of, 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 of Israel when they were in captivity in Egypt. And that whole episode exposes something of his inborn hatred for this company of people. And there's a reason for that. Now we all know that the story, how God reversed Pharaoh's plans and responded by sending an angel of death to kill all the firstborn in Egypt. Amen. Now Satan also slaughtered through Herod all the males below the age of two in the town of Bethlehem. If you remember, he was out to kill the firstborn of God, Christ. Hallelujah. Woo! And watch this. While he was, he said to himself, while we were at it, come on, let's kill the rest of the Lord. Right? He was, he's a murderer from the beginning. Now don't you ever forget that. Satan is a murderer. He's a thief. He's come to steal, kill and destroy. Now, first of all, let me explain the principle of the firstborn in the perspective of Scripture. The highest of the firstborn is our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the firstborn Son of God. Colossians 1.15 says He's the firstborn of all of creation. Colossians 1.18 is referred to the firstborn of the dead, that in all things He may have preeminence. Jesus is the firstborn of the family of God, and as such, He has the highest honour in all of God's domain. And he is the uh, blessings of the firstborn. He has the power and authority over all his brethren. He is the head of the church. And don't you ever forget this. We are adopted sons. He is the only begotten son of God. Amen. Isn't he worthy? King David is referred to as the firstborn of kings. In Psalms 89, the Lord said to David, I will make him my firstborn higher than all the kings of the earth. There were several great kings in Judah. None was greater than David. David was given exalted position in God's eternal kingdom. And although he was the youngest son of Jesse, he was elevated to become the firstborn. Number three, Israel is the firstborn of nations. Exodus 4 verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord Israel, Is my son my firstborn. There are 195 nations on the planet today. Israel is first among the nations. You like Israel, you don't like Israel, makes no difference to God. In God's ranking of nations, Israel will always be number one. And for this reason and others, Satan hates Israel with a vengeance. And that's the reason why we must pray for Israel. And that's why we have prayer for Israel. Because the Holocaust was just one attempt by Satan to wipe out God's firstborn. Number four, the church of the firstborn. I'll get the writer of the Hebrews to explain this to you in chapter 12. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God and judge of all, to the spirits of just men, love this, the spirits of just men made perfect, hallelujah. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. 
Now the church of the firstborn resides in heavenly Zion, which by the way, is the best address in heaven, right? It's the epicenter of heaven. And the implications here is that a select group of believers have attained to this high call of God. Now when the writer of the Hebrews uses the phrase, the church of the firstborn, he was using Old Testament language to indicate a company of the church that has now become eligible for the blessings and the promises of the double portion. Come on. Number five, you have the firstborn of the family. Exodus chapter 13 and verses one and two. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whoever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both men and beasts, it is mine. Now when the angel of death passed over Egypt on the night of the Passover, all the firstborn in the land were to be slain. But the Hebrews were instructed by Moses to sprinkle the blood on the lintels and the doorposts using a, a weed called hyssop, a reed. And they would sprinkle the blood on the lintels and doorposts. And the Lord says, when the angel sees the blood, he will pass over and the firstborn of the family would be spared. As long as you were under the blood, you were spared, you were saved. It didn't matter if you were trembling in fear. It didn't matter if you were totally sitting down at peace. As long as you're under the blood, you're safe. Hallelujah. Now, because of this, the firstborn was redeemed by the Lord and they belonged to God. They were redeemed by the blood of the Passover lamb and they were set apart from him. Now, if you were in Egypt in those days and you were the secondborn son like I am, I am not the oldest son in my family. I'm number two. I've got an elder brother. I've got a younger brother. If you were the secondborn son, your life would not be in jeopardy. Only the life of the firstborns were in jeopardy. Now, because they were redeemed by the blood, they belonged to God. And the Lord says, the firstborns are mine and they are set apart for the priesthood. That was plan A. That was the original intent. God wanted every family to have a representative before the throne of heaven. Hallelujah. That was God's plan that every family would have one who would stand before the Lord and worship before the Lord and minister to the Lord and that would be the firstborn of the family. God wanted everybody, every family to be represented before Him, hallelujah. But of course, you know that Israel broke every covenant and so the Lord had to move His, change His plan, tweak His plan. And later He chose the tribe of Levi instead to be priestly, the priestly tribe, to re replace the firstborns because they were wholehearted for God during the golden calf saga. And that's why in Numbers chapter 16, when Korah, Dayton, and Abiram rose up against Moses, there were 250 leaders, the Bible says men of renown, that joined this rebellion. And they were the firstborn company. They were the firstborns of Israel. And they said, it's not fair. It is not right that Aaron and all his sons should minister before God. We are the firstborn. We had to have the right as well. And I tell you, that's been, always been the problem in the church. The problem in the church is when God says, says, I choose this man, and then suddenly you find everybody upset. It's a recurring theme in the Bible. Every time God announces his choice, you got problems. Because then everybody else goes, why didn't I choose? Why didn't God choose me? Why did God choose him? And that's the biggest problem I tell you in leadership is when God makes known his choice. But not all of the firstborns were automatically chosen. A few examples, Cain, 
was the firstborn of Adam. His offering to God was rejected in his anger. He murders his brother Abel. The result was the whole lineage was rejected and the firstborn blessings went to the line of Seth. Esau was the firstborn of Isaac. He too was rejected. He was a fornicator, a profane man and did not have a heart for God. And the firstborn promise went to his younger brother, Jacob. Now Jacob was a, had a lot of issues, man. He was a supplanter. One day he swallowed a nail, he spit out a cockscrew. He was so twisted inside. And I tell you, Jacob, he was a con man. He conned the, the three people that were closest to him. His father, his brother, his father-in-law. But the one thing that Jacob had, he had a heart for God. And God can work with that. He can't work with a man who hasn't have a heart for God. You know, I know that many of you here today, you've got a heart for God, but you've got a lot of rough edges. God can work with you. He can smoothen those rough edges. But if you don't have a heart for God, I can't help you. Number three was Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob and he too was disqualified from the blessings of the firstborn because he slept with his father's concubine. What a stupid thing to do. And that blessing ought to have fallen on Simeon who was the next in line. But God bypassed Simeon because he refused to take responsibility for his brother Joseph when they sold him as a slave. As they were bringing him into slavery, it was Simeon who was in charge because Reuben wasn't there. He should have stood out and said, this is not right, you cannot do this to our brother. He kept quiet, he zipped his mouth and Joseph was sent to slavery and the Lord says, I disqualify you because you refuse to stand up for your brother. I tell you this, my friends, in the last days, God is looking for people who would stand up for the church no matter what, amen. I am sick and tired of pastors and leaders who criticize the church all the time. All the time. The church is the apple of his eye. I tell you this, my friends, you talk about my wife in a derogatory way in front of me, I will not be very happy. Don't speak derogatory about the church, amen. It's the apple of his eye. He loves the church for all her imperfections, for all her mistakes. He died for the church. Speak of the church with good, in, good way, in a good way, a respectful way, amen. They belong to Jesus Christ, amen. And I tell you this, I believe in the last days, God is looking for men and women who are not afraid to stand up for their brothers. You got to stand up for your brethren, amen. The fourth uh, person that was disqualified was Manasseh. He wasn't really disqualified, but Manasseh was Joseph's firstborn. And the blessing went to Ephraim. Jacob, you remember the story, was called to pray the firstborn blessings for the two boys. And he prayed this way. He put one hand like this, he put one hand like this. And Joseph was very upset. And he says, Father, my firstborn is if uh, Manasseh, you put your right hand on the firstborn, not your left hand. And Jacob says, it's okay. This Manasseh is going to be a great man and a great tribe, but Ephraim will have the double portion. Jeremiah 31 verse 9 says, They shall come with weeping, with supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of war in the straight way in which they do, then they will not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. They receive the firstborn blessing and the leadership of the northern kingdom Israel. Now listen to this. Thus saith the Lord, If my covenant is with, not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, so that I will not take any of the descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My goodness, have you read this verse before? You know what God is saying here? He's saying, as long as I live, 
Israel will always be governed by one family, one royal family, and that's David's family. All the kings of Israel will come from the loins of David, as I live, says the Lord. Wow, hallelujah. Woo, what a promise to receive from God. David and his descendants were given the birthright to rule over all the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I believe it's not just natural, I believe it's also spiritual because I tell you this, my friends, you speak to any leader, a true leader, someone who has the mantle of leadership, someone who has the anointing and the mantle that God has put upon him, you talk to them and they will tell you, I have received promises that God gave to me uh, that were directly associated with the lineage of David, like Isaiah 55, where the Lord says, I'll make you a witness, a leader and a commander of the people. Hallelujah. I tell you, this is something about the spiritual lineage. And that's why I believe with all my heart that the tribe that God has chosen us out from is the tribe of Judah. That is our tribal anointing over this house because I believe it with all my heart. The scepter is in this house. Hallelujah. The scepter is in this house. And I have to be very careful what I say sometimes. Because there is a, and the, and the church, rather than me, just me, because it's about the body of Christ, that when we speak, there is an authority. There is an authority that other pastors don't have. It's because God has conferred this to us. It's by grace and by election. I didn't deserve it. I don't know how many times I've stood before the Lord and says, I don't know why you want to choose a man like me. What have I done, Lord, to deserve your goodness? What have I done to deserve your kindness, Lord? Why did you choose somebody else who was more worthy, who was more charismatic, who was more gifted? Now, many people like this. But God says, I choose you. It's his choice. What is the double portion? And I'll take this to a landing. I'm going to warn you, I got four landings today. Hallelujah. <laughs> Deuteronomy 21, if a man has two wives, now this is Old Testament, please, all right? <laughs> <laughs> one love, one unlove. They're born in children, the, both the, the, the love and the unlove. If the firstborn son is of her who is unlove, then it shall be that on the day he bequeaths his possessions to his sons, that he must not bestow the firstborn status on the son of the loved wife in preference to the son of the unloved, the first trueborn, but he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn, giving him the double portion of all that he has, for this is the beginning of his strength and the right of the firstborn is his. Now the firstborn gets the double portion. That's his birthright. So if a, if a man has two boys, at his death, the inheritance is divided three parts. Two portions will go to the firstborn and one portion will go to the other son. In addition, if the father was a king, the son become, the firstborn becomes the king. If he was a priest, the, the firstborn will become a priest automatically. So that's the blessing of the firstborn. You inherit the double, what everybody else inherited, and you inherit the throne, the priesthood, the headship. Who inherited the double portion in the Old Testament? Elisha. He asked for double what Elijah had, if you remember. The Lord said to Elijah, go down to a town called Abel Mehola, you'll find a guy there. His name is Elisha. Take your mantle, touch him with the mantle, and I'll put my spirit on him. Goes, he touches this man, and Elisha is ruined for the rest of his life. For seven years, he served under his master, Elisha. The time came where Elisha was taken up. Elijah says to Elisha, what do you want from me? He says, I want what you got, but I want twice, double. Elisha says, you've asked for a hard thing, 
But if you see me taken, you can have it. I tell you this, my friends, he never took his eye off Elijah at that moment. He clung on Elijah. Elijah kept on saying, don't go, don't follow me, don't follow me. He says, nope, I'm sorry, you've got me for life, man. You're never going to get rid of me. And finally, when he's taken up, this mantle comes upon Elisha. He gets double portion. And the key is, desire. This is what he lived for all his life. Persistence. You're not going to get rid of me, Elijah. No matter what you say. Elijah kept on saying, don't follow me. It will ruin your life, Elijah. Elisha, it will ruin your life. This thing will take everything and every ounce of energy. He says, I don't care. I want this with all my heart. And he qualified for the double portion. Job also double, qualified for the double portion. Everything that the enemy stole from him, God restored double back to him. The cause, his willingness to yield and submit to very contradicting and horrific circumstances in his life. I tell you this, my, your attitude, my response, your response to negative circumstances will qualify us or disqualify us. God often allows contradictions and severe trials in our lives to test and reveal what's in our hearts. He tailor-makes these circumstances to see if we would have the right attitude. The firstborn is also the one who has the responsibility, who would care for the family because, and I, I believe in every family, you'll find there's one usually that has the spirit of the firstborn. They take care of the family. They take care of the, the welfare of the family. So the question I'll close with this is today, how do I inherit the firstborn blessings? Because this is not an arbitrary thing. The truth is not everyone qualifies for the double portion, all right? The rest of the woman gets the blessings, but only the, the firstborn gets the double portion. The privilege is given to the one who qualifies. And the first or the starting point of qualification begins with this word, revelation. I want to ask you, do you see it? Can you see it? Because if you can see it, you can have it. God has to reveal this to you. Paul said, you got to pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. God has to show it to you in a revelatory way so that you'll understand what he's saying. Now, if you don't understand, the devil comes and steals the word. Two weeks ago, I preached on the Melchizedekian priesthood. And I tell you, that was one of the most important sermons I preached in my whole life. I have had so much resistance, but I tell you this, I know with all my heart that if you can see it, and if it's something that you're asking God on a daily basis, I believe that you can come into this, this God can confer the, the mantle of a priest upon you. The next thing is, do you want it? How much do you want this? I mean, why would God in the world give you something so valued, so precious, and so highly honored in heaven? to someone who doesn't even want this. Why would he? How many of you have been praying on a daily basis, God, I want this with all my heart. I know I'm not worthy. I know, Lord, I, but I want this, Lord. I'm hungry for this. I want the anointing. I want the mantle. I want the priesthood, Lord. Give me the double portion, Lord, with all my heart. You should be praying like this on a daily basis every morning before the Lord. You should be crying out to God for the more because if you're not, you should be. If God, if you don't show to the Lord that you're interested in what He has to offer, why in the world, why, why, why in the world would He want to give something so valuable, so precious to you? This is something that's captured my heart. At this stage in my life, I couldn't care about anything else. I tell you this, my friends, all I'm interested in, Lord, I want the mantle of revival. 
What you gave to Evan Roberts, give to me, Lord. Double portion, Lord. I want the mantle of a priest, Lord. I want you to induct me into the priesthood of believers. I know this is honor and honor I cannot take to myself. It is conferred to me. It's given to me. You choose. You have to choose me. You know, one of the prayers that God has really stirred in my heart to pray is to pray every morning that Lord Jesus, you who sit on the throne at the right hand of the Father, pray for me, Lord. Pray for me. I'm, I'm, I'm under no illusions that I am here today with all my flaws, with all my weaknesses. I'm here today standing in front of you because Jesus, the intercessor, prayed for me. I'm under no illusion. My friend, uh, well, our friend, Artie Kendall, was in driving in a car many years ago, 40, 50 years ago. He's a Bible school student. And while he was driving to the Bible school that he was attending, he said right there in front of him, while he was driving, he said, I saw a clear vision. I saw Jesus kneeling at the throne of the Father and calling out Artie's name and saying, Lord, I'm praying for Artie. I'm praying for Artie. He said, the presence of God filled the place, filled the car. It's such power. He said, I wept all the way, came to the Bible school. Then he heard an audible voice. And the voice was the voice of the Son of God speaking to the Father. And the voice said this, the voice says, Father, he wants this. And the Father says, then he will have it. And he said, for one year, I had opened visions. The glory was on me. The spirit of revival everywhere I went. He said, I saw visions, words of knowledge. He says, something just happened. And I read that and I said, God, I want this with all my heart. I don't care if you give it to anybody else. I don't care if everybody else gets it. It doesn't matter. That's their business. But I want this. Choose everybody else. Choose me, Lord. Amen. Because I want this with all my heart. I want this. Lord, I want this. I want this. I want this. Finally, are you willing to pay the price for it? Once you get a revelation of it, once you know your heart is inclined and said, yeah, Lord, I, this is what, what I want with all my heart. Then the next question I want to ask you is, will you pay the price for this? It's like the man who was out seeking for goodly pearls. Remember? He finds one. This guy was seeking. He was in a seeking mode. He finds the pearl of great price. He sells all he has and then buys the pearl. The guy who's looking for, uh, the, who stumbles upon the, the treasure in the field, he wasn't looking for treasure. Probably like most of you, you weren't looking for it. You weren't even thinking about it, but you stumble on the treasure and you realize, my goodness, this is so... This is the, the most important thing. And you go out and sell all you have to buy the field so that you can get the treasure. Hallelujah. So whether you're seeking for it or whether you're not seeking for it, but you stumble upon it by revelation, I tell you this, my friends, this offer is for every one of us. This offer is for all of you. But you've got to understand how valuable this is. Value it, treasure it, I will close with a quote by Robert Morris. He says, our beliefs determine where we spend eternity, but our behavior determines how we spend eternity. I believe the Lord is offering us the possibility, the possibility of a double portion. One of the tenets of the great reformation from the 1500s, Martin Luther, John Kelvin, was that they believed in the universality of the priesthood of believers. And to a certain extent, I believe that is true. All of you, are called to be priests in the sense of praying for your family on a daily basis. You should be praying for your families, by the way, on a daily basis. Uh, you stand before God as a, as a sort of a priest and praying and 
offering sacrifices and praise. Now you say, Pastor, I really want to be a priest. Then get up early in the morning and start praising God every day. Don't be lazy. You can't be a priest and wake up 10 o'clock in the morning, you know. Jesus would have come and gone by then. Get up early in the morning, stand before the Lord, lift your hands and take time to bless Him and praise Him and offer thanksgiving and praise because that's what a priest does. He offers the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. It's a sacrifice because it should cost you something. Should cost you something. I want you to stand up with me. I want to close in prayer because of time. And I'm going to take a few moments to ask you to respond. And again, because of time, I'm going to ask you to respond by the raising of your hands. I believe that this is something that is really important. The devil hates the firstborns. He wants what God wants. Why is it that pastors and leaders often have three times as much problems raising their firstborns than the rest of their kids? It's true. This is statistics, man. Because Satan works overtime to destroy the firstborns, both natural and spiritual. When Cain, Adam's firstborn, killed his brother, who do you think incited him? Who do you think? Who do you think was there to say, come on, this guy is going to take your position if you don't kill him. He's going to take your position. So Cain rises, kills his brother. Aaron's firstborn ended up being consumed by fire. Eli's firstborn and second son were wicked men that God killed. Samuel's firstborn son was given to bribery. David's firstborn son ended up being murdered by Absalom. Many of the firstborn sons of the kings of Israel failed. And I tell you why. Was David a bad father? No, sir. Was Samuel a bad father? No, sir. One time I went through a difficult time, season in my life. I called Pastor Bailey. I said, Pastor Bailey, I'm struggling in this area of my life. Do you want me to resign from being the pastor of the church? If you say yes, I will tender my resignation straight away. He said to me, Takyun, our Heavenly Father is the best father in the world. And, his fa- and as a father, he's got many sons that he loves. And some of them are wayward. But they're, they're never disqualified the Heavenly Father from being a father. Hallelujah. And then he said to me, if, God, if you have to step down from your position, then God the Father would have to step down from His too. Because He loves His children to bits. And there are many of us that sometimes go away with, but He still loves us, holds on to us. Oh, my friends, we have a great God. Amen. But I also, the reason I'm preaching this is I want you to be aware of the attack on the firstborns. There's always this horrible, demonic attack. Now, I'm going to just pray general prayer for the firstborns in this room right now. Very quickly, if you're a firstborn, whether you're a male or a female, and we, are, we define them as male and female, amen. In this, if you're a male or a female in this church, would you stand if you're the firstborn? Firstborn, only the firstborns. Just, I'm so sorry, you all stand. If you are the first, the rest sit down. If they're firstborn, remain standing. I just want to pray for you. Just for a few moments, right? I want to pray for you. Father, I want to speak the blessings of the firstborn over these natural firstborn sons and daughters. I speak your favor, your blessings over their lives right now in Jesus' name. Will you impart the grace? Will you cover them with the blood? 
We consecrate them to you, Lord. If they have not been consecrated yet, Lord, I pray, consecrate them. Lord, I pray, give them a heart for the ministry. Give them a heart for the kingdom. Give them the understanding of the position that they hold over the family. And as such, Lord, to have responsibility over the welfare of all their siblings, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to just ask you, close your eyes. And I want to pray for, if, you, if this message somehow resonated with you and you say, Pastor, I, I just, I'm drawn to this. I sense that, that that's such a desire in my heart, such a longing. I've been praying for this. I want more from God. I don't want to stay in my comfort zone. I want to step out, take that bungee step of faith. And I want to go all the way with Jesus. I want to take up the cross. I want like Peter and Andrew, Lord, who when they heard Jesus say, come follow me, they left everything and they followed Jesus. I want to have the same kind of determination, the same kind of commitment, the same kind of passion for my Lord Jesus Christ. If that is you today, if you have this stirring in your heart, if you see it and you want it and you say, I'm willing to pay the price, would you raise your hands right now? Wherever you are in this room, just raise your hands. Now, if you raise your hands, would you just get off your seats, come down to the altar? Because here at the altar, we worship. We worship and lay our lives down before the Lord. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.